Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 114 is, I'm going to say it the English way, David van der Greet. Welcome to Sound of Play. Hello, hello. Hi, hi. So uh, you uh, gave us a shout via the medium of, I think it was good old fashioned email. Yes, I did. Just to uh, say that you'd like to come on. That's how easy it is, listeners. All you need is some sort of uh, microphone and some tunes and some things to say about them, and and we make it happen. So yeah, I've got. I was just saying to to David before the show started. I've actually got a list of folks who have put themselves forward. Um, that list can be increased, uh, listeners. If you uh, tug up my coattails on Twitter or email or however, I'll leave you to work it out because that just puts up a little challenge for you to uh, to to work it out rather than giving out all the details. I'll see if you're uh, if you're <laughs> if you're smart enough to get get hold of me. Uh, then you, you're smart enough to come on the show. 
Uh, right, so David, uh, you as our listeners will probably pick up uh, have uh, uh, what we would say a continental European accent. Well, I say it's continental, but it's um, it's that that uh, strange piece of the world that uh, people don't know so much about over to the east of us uh, in the Netherlands. We have obviously we have our Dutch uh, contributor Michiel these days, so we're trying to we're trying to expand across the world, uh, starting. Uh, starting in the uh, with the windmills and and other cliches of of Holland. So, which part of uh, which part of Holland are you from? Uh, I'm from a town called uh, Dordrecht, which is just below Rotterdam. So, uh, people should be uh, familiar with Rotterdam, I think. Yes, Rotterdam's quite famous. And of course, uh, Holland is not such uh, a big a big country, the Netherlands. Oh. So, I could also say we're just below Amsterdam, and that would be kind of the truth. It's like yeah. a, an hour drive. I hope to visit someday. Uh, obviously, we have uh, we we have have a place to stay now with um, with Mikhail being there. He's uh, he said his door is always open to Cane and Rinse members. Not not all of the listeners. Sorry, guys, uh, you can't just roll up to Mikhail's. He wouldn't he wouldn't thank you for it. Um, yeah. So well, video games, music. Uh, we actually had a, a tune from this game in the last show as well. So I'm very happy to hear uh, Hiroki Kikuta represented once again with his amazing work from Secret of Mana. And you chose Still of the Night. So we've, we've had a very beautiful, sweet, charming, gentle opening. And um, what is it about that piece uh, that made you narrow it down for your five picks to bring us today? Uh, well, I was thinking about what picks I should take for this day's show. And there's a kind of an emotional through line through the the songs I have chosen. Oh, and uh, because of this, I have not by far, I must say, chosen my favorite track of the uh, Secret of Mana soundtrack. Uh, there's lots of beautiful tracks in there, which, of course, uh, I'm just pandering to the host now. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it will become clear that this is by far the best game. I think it's it's the best game I have played. And it has a very strong emotional connection to me, mm. which I think uh, makes it for me so so beautiful, so uh, interesting and important. But why have I chosen this track? I was mm -hmm. thinking of what uh, emotional bond I have with the game and when I felt that it was uh, as strong. And uh, I remember but when I was little, my brother had an uh, SNES and he bought Secret of Mana and we would play it together, which is uh, a wonderful experience uh, playing with your big brother when you're just very tiny and trying to understand all the things that are in the game, barely knowing English. So having to explain to me what was happening. Um, and then getting to the end of the game, spoilers, the Mana Fortress uh, rises out of the, of the ground and mm. you can enter the Mana Fortress, but you can't play all the way through it. You have to go to Pure Land to uh, visit the Mana Tree. Mm. And from the Mana Fortress, which has a, a great score, uh, wonderful music, but it's very, uh, very driven, very, mm. very uh, energetic. And then you come in Pure Land, and it's it's a complete change. You go from uh, something very frantic to uh, almost complete quiet. From my perspective, it embodies what you feel as a player when you enter Pure Land. It's a different place, it's a different uh, creatures you encounter, and it's a different mission you have there. And um, I still remember going to Pure Land for the second time, and it would be like the, the, the second of many, many, many playthroughs I did through Secret of Mana, uh, looking forward to going to Pure Land because of the because of the music, because of feeling that feeling of tranquility. 
Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, the, the, the feeling of not being pushed uh, through the story, but going at it through your own pace, through pure land, where also the game um, does not lead you into a certain direction. There are mm. multiple doors and openings in pure land, and you just have to find the way yourself, and you can take uh, roundabouts. Uh, is that the correct word? <laughs> yeah, that is good. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can take a, you can take a different route and see some more of the of of pure land without actually going anywhere. I got to say, like it's been uh, as I said on the last uh, sound of play, it's been twenty something years since I played beyond the first few hours of Secret of Mana. So I don't rem- I don't I remember bits, you know, just little snatches about the um, about the late game. But uh, but I have stronger memories of the earlier sections, I guess, because I have revisited those. Uh, I remember uh, going to Santa's workshop being particularly uh, twee and magical. Um, <laughs> and I but I do remember the sort of great revelations regarding the, the tree. And and uh, and also just as, as I also said last time, Secret of Mana was actually my first Japanese role playing game. Like, although it's not a traditional JRPG in in every sense it is a square soft you know game where you uh you know go through lots of traditional jrpg things it just so happens that the combat is more uh real-time action oriented um but just for that i think i have enormously fond memories of it because i hadn't seen that archetypal story told quite so many times over and over and over again i realized (laughs) over the next 10 or 15 years that i was going to end up playing fundamentally the same story every time i played a jrpg for a while and it was you know and that's fine and it's uh, it's the archetypal legend and you get to imprint yourself on the characters and whatever but secret of mana i think still always had a certain little bit of extra charm for me from the i remember there were little um sort of there were photographs of models of the characters in the instruction manual and stuff like that uh like they'd actually made 3d representations of the characters and um yeah, and also you know just stuff like back in in ninety in the mid nineties, just seeing mode seven being used so spectacularly was was exciting in itself. Um, yeah, so it was a technical. It wasn't just that it was a magical, exciting adventure, but it was a real technical tour de force as well with that soundtrack. So did you play it? Actually, were you a, a super Nintendo guy? You know, at, in ninety three, ninety four, when the game came out over here is that is is this memory of yours going all the way back to the day yes in the sense that we played it when it came out but not uh, first day um, I yeah. asked my brother when he uh, he got hold of the game and he said that a good friend of ours was like a first day buyer uh, right. he also rented lots of games and because uh, this friend did uh, did rent all of those games. We could see, oh, this one, this one is great. We gotta have that one. So my brother would buy it, and we could play the best games because he already had some idea of what was a good game to buy, and uh, we could all enjoy uh, mm. playing it because my brother did not hoard it all for himself. I have very warm memories of him, um, and this is one of the. The, the memories I wrote down as being particularly important for me, um, the kind of successor to Secret of Mana, not Psychon Densetsu 3, which is the, the real successor, but mm. the uh, next game to be produced by the same company, uh, Square in North America, uh, and uh, also the only game completely developed by Square North America because yeah, uh, because right. they got shut down after that. Yeah, but yeah. they made uh, Secret of Evermore. And mm. when my brother bought Secret of Evermore, he would play it and uh, play it to the first point where he could save the game. And I was waiting in front of the door 
until that moment so I could play that part <laughs> and and my brother would let me play it so that was, that was just great and I can remember like a, a an 8 year old boy sitting in front of the door just waiting uh, for like 45 minutes which is hmm. uh, ridiculous for oh. <laughs> like for yeah. a kid that, that age to be wa- uh, I, I waited in excitement just to play a part of that game oh, and, amazing uh, uh, those memories with my brother watching how I would do it uh, that just warms my heart that's sweet what's the age difference between him and you uh, four years oh, okay yeah proper big brother gap <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah alright next up we have uh, interspersed with uh, David's picks we also of course have our regular selections requested by you the listeners uh, you can go over to the forum at canerince.com slash forum or you can use uh, uh, Twitter that thing social media Facebook uh, this is from Gallo Pinto on our forum uh, who says I liked but didn't love level 5's Yokai Watch for the 3DS but I think this is one of the most fun opening songs I've seen or heard in a game it's pure Saturday morning cartoon silliness and it's the best aspect of the game according to Gaio uh, so this is the opening song by Kenichiro Saigo you problems messing up your hair they'll trip you up give you a flat tire or make your socks go missing in the dryer yo i make mischief anywhere and you may not even believe they're there let me introduce you to my friend he's found a way to connect with them he's got a He's gonna build a supernatural entourage He can talk to the spirits He doesn't have to fear it And they're always gonna hear it Cause you know he's got a yokai watch Talk to the spirits, he doesn't have to fear it, and they're always gonna hear it, cause you know he's got a yokai watch. So just uh, a minute long there from the uh, yokai watch. I don't know. Is that I don't know if that's just the theme tune from the game, or if it's also the theme tune from the animation. And I don't know if the animation is only in Japan or whether it got localized to America. I know I don't know much about Yoko Watch other than I know Level Five make cool games, um, but I've you know deliberately avoided Yokai Watch for fear of it being another money and time sink that I don't have money or time for. Uh, you've listened to that track. What do, do you make of the the silliness of Yokai Watch, David? <laughs> It's a it's a great song that I think tells you all you need to to know about the game, and uh, yeah. it's it's great that in one minute you can have a, a total picture of yeah. what you're walking into, and you have the option to say, well, maybe this is not my thing, <laughs> yeah, but it's sure. it certainly is a delightful one minute. So you were telling me uh, before we started recording, you've got uh, a very young baby and also a toddler, I guess, uh, a, yep. a girl and a boy. Um, so I suppose in the next probably couple of years, you're going to be starting to potentially uh, the world of gaming with your son is going to start to open up. Have you got anything uh, planned in mind for like his um, his uh, his coming of age with, with, with his first steps into gaming? Have you got any titles or genres uh, are you going to be cool, Dad? Are you going to be boring, Dad? Make him play the old stuff first. <laughs> That's a very good question. I uh, have thought a little about it, and I do hope that I could get him interested to play uh, a link to the past, because yeah. I think it's it's just 
an amazing introduction into gaming. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I'm I'm overestimating it a little bit because it's it's not just the easiest game to begin with. No. But it no. is a great uh, a great adventure to go on, and I hope that uh, maybe by playing it together, I can uh, introduce him to what I think is one of the greatest games of all ta- all time, and mm. uh, see if he's interested. Um, yeah. He is interested in mobile phones and in the Nintendo DS. And although uh, he can't really, uh, he doesn't understand what he's doing, uh, the fact that he pushes the screen and that things happen uh, is yeah. very interesting to him. It so, won't be long. Uh, I guess you're literally months away from him actually starting to try to sort of achieve things rather than just moving stuff about and making it light up or whatever I, I mean i don't know i don't have kids but uh, i'm i'm thinking maybe in two years time you could be playing secret of manor in two player with your own son <laughs> maybe maybe i i still remember that my own brother uh kind of got frustrated sometimes if i wouldn't uh um if i would stop him because i wasn't moving on and then the screen oh, yeah. would just wait until the second player would move on so yeah. uh, the screen could go, and uh, uh, I still remember him getting quite agitated if uh, I wasn't paying attention, or uh, yeah. or I was just messing with him. It was one of the <laughs> only issues with playing with the with the AI companions because there were there were always uh, the three of you in your party on screen, even when you were playing without extra humans. Um, and one of the one of the actual challenges of the game played solo, as you as you'll know, having gone back to it, is uh, is trying to make sure that the AI companions don't get hooked on the corners of things and uh, yep. uh, and and, and uh, stop you being able to walk off the screen, or they just get endlessly fascinated by a particular enemy that you don't care about. And, uh, <laughs> it's all part of the fun. Uh, but yeah, ideally you need a multi-tap, of course, and to play it with with two others. But I've ne- I've never managed to. Uh, never managed to set that up sadly uh we have and i can tell you it's amazing <laughs> it's it's a great experience uh unfortunately this was only later uh yeah. i also have a little brother he could have played but he wasn't really interested and it was kind of the bond between me and my big brother so yeah. uh, that never happened but it's uh, it it can be done and it is a great experience if you have friends who uh, love to play and you, you've disowned that younger brother now presumably <laughs> I don't think he would technically get anything if I die, so uh, there's not much disowning to do, but uh, uh, we enjoy other things. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it looks like we're following a, uh, a sort of a chronology with the music that you've picked yes. for the show here. Um, so next up, uh, another Super Nintendo track uh, from the legendary uh, David Wise and Donkey Kong Country. Tell us about Fear Factory and your memories of that. Donkey Kong Country was one of the games that my brother bought because he saw it uh, at a friend's house and he was like, this is this is great, we gotta have this. And of course, we played the heck out of this. We 100%ed it. Was this one of those that you could get 101? It was, uh, you could, yes. I did yes, it. I'm, yes, I'm quite certain that we did also. And of course, it's a great two-player game. So uh, also, uh, with my brother yes. playing through it, and uh, the discovery that Diddy could cartwheel over the side of trees and stuff and then still jump, uh, thus making it an invaluable character to get to those hard-to-reach places. It's a great experience, and then seeing that Donkey Kong could uh, get bananas out of the out of the ground by stomping it in certain places. Yeah, uh, great, great experiences. And of course, I put in this track because I just wanted to say, Ryan Heyman, you are a yeah. great guy, but you're dead wrong. 
uh, Donkey Kong 2 is not the best game. It is definitely <laughs> Donkey Kong Country. So uh, it's the great thing about games. We can uh, disagree and still think the best of each other. But uh, you have to revise your, 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 your vision on these <laughs> games because it's definitely... The first one. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's interesting you should say it because Ryan, uh, I actually met up with Ryan for the first time in real life just a couple of days ago. He's, ah. he's in the UK and uh, I showed him around my hometown. And uh, yeah, we, we, were, we were in disagreement about uh, first games and sequels and on multiple occasions. Uh, like he he uh, sticks by Super Mario Galaxy 2, whereas I stick by Super Mario Galaxy 1. Uh, he sticks by Bayonetta 2 and I stick by Bayonetta 1. So it's, I think it's just a peculiarity of Ryan. Um, but one of the things we always uh, stress on, on Kane and Rince is that it is always our own experiences there are no facts uh, when it comes to tastes so uh, he, he is just as right as we are uh, he's just he's just right in a different way for himself um, so the great thing about about gaming I think yeah. it's uh, it's it's uh, when when people say things about games to divide I think you you're you're, you're playing it wrong yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's uh, games in in essence are made just to have fun with and if you can't have fun with a game try another one <laughs> Why did I take this uh, this track? Mm. Um, one reason is I think I missed it in the Donkey Kong Country uh, episode, and this is one of my favorites. So I thought uh, uh, listeners should be educated, and we should play this track. Fair enough. It has a very haunting, um, haunting melody. It has a very haunting uh, atmosphere. And I remember fondly going through the factory levels. It was uh, very dark and uh, the lamps swinging to and fro mm. and looking where you were going and trying to find all the secrets uh, uh, whilst it being so dark. Um, it just made you feel like an, like an explorer in a very different sense of being in the forest. I really like uh, the atmosphere. I really like the, the track. So uh, let's listen to it.
So that's David Wise's Fear Factory, of course, from Donkey Kong Country, also known as Super Donkey Kong in Japan, uh, but not elsewhere. And uh, yeah, we did a Donkey Kong music special some time ago. I can't remember the number of the sound of play off the top of my head, but if you search sound of play Donkey Kong, you'll find it. Or if you just go to canarince.com and look through the, the list of episodes there or do the search thing, it all works. It was all good. Uh, yeah. And as a, as a public service announcement to listeners, we still quite often get uh, tweets and communications, people saying, have you covered such and such a game? Well, there's a list of every game we've covered on Kane and Rince on the website uh, I think it's under the title of complete volume listening uh, so if you ever want to see if we've done a game you can have it all on one page there and you just do the control F thing and, and find the episode uh, and if it's not there we haven't done it um, but we've still got as you know uh, 1,500 odd and rising games to cover over the next uh, well however long um, the key members of the team stay alive uh, basically <laughs> so uh, so yeah if uh, if you want to make sure I've got uh, good healthcare and stuff like that patreon.com slash canamrins <laughs> They'll pay. I'm asking people to pay pay for me to stay alive. I'm not sure that's good. Uh, <laughs> moving swiftly along, uh, Mike Leddy from the forum. Uh, this is uh, a request, just apropos of nothing else, but uh, it's it's uh, from a soundtrack I like, from a game I like, uh, and obviously Mike Leddy does as well. Who says I would plug in a second pad just to see the grass swoon and the beauty of this track come alive. Still, arguably my most played game music, and in my ears perfect i will never know what a khan super session entails but i'd rather like to keep it that way as it only builds the mythos to this captivating creation that captures an era i'll continue to treasure and this is a continental gale khan super session version uh, by masami ito from soul blade or edge
that's uh, the Khan Super Session version of a Continental Gale. And I think what a Khan Super Session is, it's basically where they got a, a band or a, an orchestra to play the music as opposed to the original <laughs> chip tune uh, versions or, or, or MIDI versions. Um, yeah, there were, they were uh, like uh, on the Dreamcast version of Soul Calibur, which was obviously the game that came after this, there were there was the option to have either the original or the arranged Khan Super Session versions, I recall, which were a bit more grand and opulent and organic sounding. So I think that's what I, I why it's called a Khan Super Session. That's something I have no idea. Normally, they would just be called arranged or orchestrated or or something. But uh, yeah. So do you have any memories of the Soul Edge series? I, I, I don't know if you're a fighting game guy, but even I think with Soul Edge and Soul Blade and Soul Calibur, I think that series actually had a bit of a crossover into folks who just wanted to play a cool, uh, you know, a fun sword swords game rather than necessarily somebody who's into the hyper-technical competitive fighting game scene. Yeah, this was... Uh, I played Soul Calibur 2 on the uh, GameCube was one wow. of the, the uh, yes yes <laughs> it was not uh, really the reason why I, why I bought it or was attracted to it and it was uh, uh, it it kind of feels like a tecton like uh, playing link yeah. uh, throwing the bombs and shooting the arrows and you think that's very nice but I would rather be playing with somebody who has a big hammer to smush your head uh, yeah but <laughs> at least it wasn't spawn out of the Xbox version uh, so. no no and, no, and the I, adult I, characters didn't improve as the series went on so <laughs> Link was, I, I wouldn't Link was know. the least of the problem I uh, I did listen to the music and um, I was thinking this this is great music and, and when you get such a great soundtrack you think what kind of game would this uh, be accompanying uh, this music and uh, then you look at some shots and you think well maybe I should just stick to the music uh, PlayStation 1 uh, it's a, a great beginning for games, but in this time, uh, having no nostalgic feelings about any of those games uh, does not make me want to go back. No, that's understandable. Fortunately, the uh, the Soul Calibur series carried on with uh, various uh, with four and five on the on the last gen machine, so there are some much prettier looking uh, sort of incarnations of that that style of game. Um, but yeah, Soul Calibur's gone all quiet. I think the last version was a. A sort of free-to-play uh, entry in the series, which did not go down very well. So, um, one thing we've talked about with Mikhail, possibly not on Sound of Play, but um, certainly outside of it, is uh, one of his uh, jobs that he takes on is the uh, Dutch localizing person. Um, he did uh, Watch Dogs 2 as one of his most recent big projects, and he's worked on some other games where he's effectively translating them into the Dutch language. But um, he often talks of how for for many, many years there were no Dutch translations. You've already mentioned, or there were very few, you've already mentioned playing Secret of Manor as a kid in English, presumably because that was the language that was on the cart that you were most... Uh, familiar with I don't know if the, I can't remember if it yep. also had say French, German Spanish, Italian or any of those uh, we bought the game and we brought it home and we put it yeah. in and it was in German <laughs> and we ah. were like hey this is not the game we wanted to purchase so we went back and we got an English version I see um, okay. but I must say the, the, the first game I played in Dutch and I am racking my brain but I think to up to date maybe the only game I played in Dutch right Wow. Uh, was Beyond Good and Evil, hmm. which had uh, I could buy with a Dutch and a French uh, speaking option. Yes, right. And I did not consciously buy it that way, but when I got home, it was like, hey, they're speaking my language. 
<laughs> this wow. is a, a very interesting experience because it never happens before. And I must say, for all things brought to us by the French, which are mostly uh, interesting, strange and weird, Beyond Good and Evil was very well translated. I don't yeah. know if uh, Michiel had anything to do with that. But no, I don't was, think so. Uh, no, but it was a very, very well translated game, uh, even in such a way that some of the jokes uh, were typically Dutch and cannot be made anywhere else. So, <laughs> so, so I, they brought a smile to my face when, uh, uh, when playing that game. So that was a really great job, whoever it is that did that. I am uh, very pleased with the result. Yeah, something we take for granted as English speakers. Uh, obviously, you know, there's there's a long history with games only being in Japanese, and we've, you know, as English speakers and presumably other languages, other countries as well, you've you've worked out how to get around Japanese games. But um, but normally, if a game comes out in Europe, obviously English is like one of the primary languages that it will be put into, and so it's yeah, it's kind of a weird idea uh, for us to think about that you yeah you literally had to wait until two. 2003 to play a game actually in your own language that's kind of insane really uh, one of the the great things about uh, game music I think is uh, you can use it in so many different ways sometimes the music is like uh, background noise and one of the the interesting experience I had while in my gaming life was going upstairs to play Ocarina of Time Mm. And uh, going uh, into my room, and I I I heard noises. I uh, I think what's this? And it sounded like gulls in the distance. Yeah. And I was like, this is not the time of year that the gulls fly in this far. Um, what's going on? And it appeared that I had put Ocarina of Time on pause, and I was <laughs> hearing the gulls from the game. <laughs> ah. And uh, th- that was that was like, yep, you got me. This is uh, this is just great sound design. So uh, wonderful moment, and all credit goes to the makers of the game uh, for for just such a such a wonderful experience by making uh, a soundtrack which really serves as background so much that you believe it is real. That's just amazing. Yeah, the amount of times I've got confused as to whether, especially when wearing headphones, as to whether a sound is happening in a game or in real life. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And I also used to have this thing where maybe I shouldn't talk about this. Uh, no, it's probably fine. Um, but a lot of games <laughs> when when in the in the 80s, um, I was playing on uh, home computers, there were a lot of white noise effects, you know, for engines and fire and whatever else, you know, just multiple use water, multiple uses of white noise. And... My brain would start to, I guess it's the same way in, in that your brain tries to make faces in, in, in inanimate objects. Also, my brain would try to make voices out of the white noise. Uh, so it was effectively like I was hearing this sort of slightly ghostly dialogue from, you know, uh, mysterious entities. Um, and it, it added de- definitely something to the, um, to the experience, a, a, a slight creepiness. But um, but I wonder if that, yeah, it's probably just childhood imagination running riot. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's curious. And I, I definitely still have that. I, I think I had it as recently as yesterday where I was playing something with headphones and I was like, is that, that right? It's a car alarm. But is that a real, is that here or is that in the game? <laughs> and, or is it, is it, is it playing? Is it, is it, is the developer playing tricks with me? Because there's, there's no reason why a car alarm would be in this game. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's daft, but uh, yeah, it's curious. Yeah, childhood imagination is the best imagination. So yeah, it's, uh, it's nothing a shame to be ashamed of. It's a shame it has to, uh, it dissipates so, and, and in the end, like, things stop 
Well, for most of us, I think like I, I think I maintain a, a certain amount of childlike wonder at things, but a lot of a lot of that does fade over time, just because you you realise that you know the magic maybe isn't real in a lot of cases and stuff, and oh, it's too sad to think about. Uh, <laughs> Um, something magical, though, uh, we like to when we can, when we're recording one of these shows contemporaneously, I like to uh, keep up to date with some video game music news. So just very briefly, um, I wanted to point you in the direction of YouTube and cover musician String Player Gamer, who has recently released uh, Undertale Strings of Determination Complete Edition. So we've celebrated the music of Undertale. We also covered Undertale on the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is a multiple disc compilation of Undertale arrangements featuring a large range of musical styles with a book. Clit, uh, con- containing original Undertale artwork by Kayla De Leon and Judy Zabella. Uh, 46 tracks arranged from the original games. Uh, String Player Gamer says in just two years, the music of Toby Fox's whimsical Undertale has become an instant modern classic in the video games music community. My daughter and I became obsessed with the game's world, characters, memes and music, so much so that she drew all the illustrations in the booklet. So this is uh, this is really a father-daughter project. So that sounds adorable. The album is available on iTunes, Spotify and Bandcamp. Uh, this is not a sponsored thing. This is purely uh, f- from me off from my own back, I should say. And another new release is from the wonderful Jessica Curry, uh, who we all know from Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, of course. Uh, She's released a soundtrack to a VR, Daydream VR project, So Let Us Melt, and that's on Bandcamp and vinyl as well. So Let Us Melt focuses choral traditions with contemporary minimalism, joyful and moving string and heart with playful electronics and samples, uh, according to Dan Pinchbeck, Chinese Room Director. Uh, so in So Let Us Melt, we hear a composer utterly at ease with her own unique and developing voice, breaking beyond themes and accents to create a sonic journey that perfectly captures the bittersweet wonder and myth building of the game. This is an album full of warmth and life, and it is unlike any other soundtrack you will hear this year. Uh, that's eight pounds on Bandcamp. Um, so even if you don't have uh, the virtual reality setup needed to experience So Let Us Melt, uh, it's good to know that there's more Jessica Curry music out there. And uh, yes, Jessica is still a target for us to feature on this podcast at some point. We know somebody who knows her and apparently she's one of the nicest people in the industry. So I'm hopeful we'll get her on here someday. That would be uh, amazing. I uh, recently successfully played uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Yes. And the the way in which the music is intertwined with the game yeah. and hewing on certain moments uh, really shows you what music can do in a directed experience like uh, like this yeah. game. I was really impressed by how it well tugged at my heartstrings uh, yes. for one, but also the the power and intensity of the music itself. T- genuinely astounding stuff. Uh, and talking of choral work, uh, as we just were, and also tugging at the heartstrings. Uh, your next selection comes from the fairly legendary soundtrack of Final Fantasy VIII by the definitely legendary composer Nobuo Uematsu. Um, and uh, I believe there's a particular uh, connection you have with this game and this soundtrack. Is that right? Yeah, that's uh, that's right. Um, my bond with my brother went so far that when he moved out of the house, I regularly uh, came to visit him where he uh, where he lived in Rotterdam. And when I got there, mostly what we would do was we first play a game, just a board game or a card game, and then mm. uh, he would put me behind Final Fantasy VIII. Still to this day, I don't know why exactly that was what he did, because I think huh? he had better things to do. But still, he uh, watched me play through the entire game through the course of about a year. Uh, I played through wow. Final Fantasy VIII, 
and uh, he would just watch and I think uh, play Game Boy or something uh, but that gave me the opportunity to experience uh, this great game because it's, it's a fantastic game and for many people Final Fantasy 7 is the first uh, JRPG or, or big RPG that they played and for me this was mm. Final Fantasy 8 mm. so that uh, probably is why I think it's it's such a great game and a very interesting way of portraying characters there's a big mocap component of the movement of the characters yes. which makes it very lifelike dance scene for instance a famous dance scene uh, best guy best guy in the best looking guy here hmm uh, two pixels as a head, but still, <laughs> uh, who's looking? But the interesting thing about this game is that at the time I was uh, about 15, 14 years old, and my emotional development was not very great. Uh, I had the intellectual capacity, was doing well in school, mm. and I did not know really that there was something wrong. Um, but by playing this game, and just the scenes in this game being very emotional, mm. some would say uh, sappy, <laughs> soap-like, <laughs> but for me it was people experiencing emotions, yeah. and sometimes emotions that I was not familiar with, right. uh, to such a point, and have a bigger story about this journey that I took while playing Final Fantasy VIII in an earlier podcast, which we will try mm. to link in the show notes. We will. Um, but there's a, a specific conversation between the main person, Squall, and his, uh, well, I want to say girlfriend. He doesn't think so. She does, I think. Yeah. And yeah. the conversation is, is as follows. The Squall says, you wanted to talk some f- about something, right? And uh, Reno, uh, the girl, says, well, it's about your promotion. Things are going to get real rough for you, eh? And Squall says, I don't want to think about it. And Reno says, well, there'll, there'll be a lot of things that you'll have to deal with from now on. We're talking about that and seeing how you'll probably try to handle everything on your own hmm. I, I probably will he says but they know you too well you know says I do too although you haven't been around I haven't been around you that long you know when you start to think and you frown like this ah come on I'm sorry but really we're, we're just saying you you can't handle everything on your own and then squall says Am I that untrusting? Maybe I'm this way because I'm scared. Nothing lasts in this world. It feels great to have friends who believe in you and adults you can rely on, and that's why it's so dangerous, especially if you become used to it. Someday you're bound to lose everything. Everything around you will be gone. And then what you're left with? Nothing, nobody. It's so miserable, but it's inevitable. It's so hard to recover from something like that. I never want to deal with that again. I can't, even if it means being alone. And he leaves. When I uh, I was thinking back to that experience, playing the game, and I realized that a character on a video game, on a screen, was experiencing emotions mm. that were much stronger than anything I experienced before, but mm. in a very special way, kind of the same. And I, I recognized myself in the person, and then things started to change, because I thought I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that does not allow people into his life because he thinks that it can harm him and that it would be better not to. And from that moment on, I uh, I started learning how to make friends and how to uh, emotionally bond with people. Very, very powerful experience. And uh, if you're interested, there's more in the in the podcast where I, uh, I el- elaborate a bit more. Um, 
But I always think when, when people talk about video games and say that it's just entertainment and um, it's just a way to pass the time, mm. then I think there's so much you're missing. There's so much like like playing uh, everybody's gone to the rapture. And when you finish the game and somebody says, well, it's just a way to pass the time, then I think maybe you should play the game and then we'll talk again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I feel, I feel like that about, uh, I guess, yeah. Uh, other, other forms of entertainment have, have the same thing, but certainly I think, um, yeah, video games for a long time were by, by a lot of people dismissed as being you know, shallow and, um, yeah, just like the most kind of simple, lowbrow, undemanding form of, you know, simple flashing lights and, and colors kind of entertainment. But I think, yeah, I, I think we're definitely past that point from, from the point of view of most people now. And certainly like I wouldn't do what I do. You know, I'm still making these podcasts with a team of amazing people in, into my mid 40s and hopefully for the next goodness knows how many years so um yeah i think uh, these are not things that you necessarily grow out of anymore but they're things that you, you gain different things from as you get older but also like as well as for every uh, wonderful and like life changing experience that you might have with a game like that there's all sorts of other experiences to be had with games as well like sports like experience of of you know esports type things and self betterment of high score chasing and beating things on one credit there's so many facets to it um that's i think that's why i'm so and yes yeah, why i guess we all are so endlessly uh fascinated because it's not just one thing for every for every game like Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, which is uh, very emotional and, and a story that's to be interpreted and, and understood, there's there's all these, all these other amazing experiences as well. It's just never ending. The, the only the only thing is how how little time it makes you realize there is to do everything that you want to do. <laughs> that's a very big problem nowadays, especially uh, being a father with two uh, oh, small yeah. children. Uh, mm. I really have to pick my games to say, okay, this year maybe... I'll try and play, choose a couple of games I will try and finish that year. And I stopped gathering games on lists uh, that w I would like to play because uh, there's just no beginning uh, or no end, I should say. And so I try and seek out those games that would not take so many hours of my life, but yeah. would um, allow me to complete the game and have the experience of, of the full, uh, yeah, quite the right. full game. Yeah. We tried to cover uh, some of those games every year on the on the Cane and Rinse podcast, part, partly for that reason, partly because it means people can definitely play along with the show, but also because it means when we're also trying to cover uh, The Witcher and Zelda and Final Fantasy, we've actually got time to, to try to play everything in between. Uh, so, uh, and this track, uh, just to intro, Fithos uh, Lusek Wikos Vinosek, sorry about the pronunciation. Yeah, why this piece in particular? Does, do you associate this with, with the scene that you mentioned, or is it just the game as a whole. This is the, the theme of the game. Uh, earlier in another Sound of Play you played the intro, which is yeah. uh, Liberty Fatali, which yeah. is a longer version with more lyrics. And Vitos Lusek Vekos Vinosek is an mm -hmm. anagram of the phrases Succession of Witches and Love, which are the two huh. main themes of the game. I did not know that. No, I can still tell you things you don't know. And uh, the lyrics of the intro have to do with uh, growing up. And uh, ah. it says, wake up from your sleep, my children, your childhood years are gone. And it's also, for me, very interesting to see the lyrics of this song 
and mm. uh, reflecting on my own personal journey with the game.
unmistakably Nobuo Uematsu, Final Fantasy VIII, and uh, that title which I never knew before was an anagram. Vithos, Lusek, Vikos, or Vikos, Vinosek. Uh, it all makes sense now. Uh, now, uh, next up, we have another request from the forum. This is from Mechner, and uh, this is a game we covered on Kane and Rince back in issue 209. Deus Ex. Mechner says, The game that every time you mention it, someone will reinstall it. My first experience of this was an, on an old Windows 98 Dell PC with an 11 megabyte Diamond Viper graphics card. And by God, that main theme started. Slow electronic build like the start of an electrical storm with the Deus Ex logo spinning in glorious early 2000s 3D, shortly exploding into the main theme. I was so taken aback, I was pumped to play this game. Techno-inspired backbeats, searing lead synth lines that suggest mystery, intrigue and conspiracy. Epic and big. It has always reminded me of Soviet Russia for some reason. While a lot of people comment on how amazing Deus Ex is, I think it's a shame the music isn't discussed more. That theme is just mind-blowing. I have opted to use the PS2 version as it is a little curio, recorded with a live orchestra and has an even more bombastic and, if it's even possible, more epic feel to the whole thing. Uh, While it's a nice difference, the original will always be close to my heart. So this, uh, we think, is uh, Alexander Brandon with the main theme from Ion Storm's Deus Ex.
So that which we heard is the 2002 PlayStation 2 version. Of course, the original was on the PC a couple of years before that. The millennial game, Deus Ex. As I say, we talked all about that in uh, Kane and Rint's podcast issue 209. Now joining me in this sound of play, we have our guest David, uh, who's a listener from the community who asked to come on and is now on the show. As I say, that's how it works. Uh, so we've been hearing from some of David's uh, sort of uh, significant tunes from his gaming life and and his emotional life as well. Now, uh, this is uh, next one is a tune that always makes me smile. Um, is there any more to it than that for you? Or is it just uh, is there a memory attached to this or is it just the glee of Kirby uh, on Dreamland 64? Well, of course, there's that. But this track uh, brings me back to when we were on my room playing with four people and a, a GameCube and uh, just uh, bashing each other's head in in Super Smash Brothers and having the best time of our lives at that point. A great experience with your friends, just having a lot of fun and this would be like two times a week playing a couple of hours of Smash Brothers uh, and having the best time. Mm. And I still remember playing the game and uh, my friend would put it on pause and we were like, what are you doing? What's, what's going on? Mm. And he would get this very big smile on his face, and then we would smell what he was doing and leave the room. (laughs) And we were were like, yeah, thanks. Uh, We'll just get something to eat and uh, then return. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange experience, and and, and remembering this, I know, but it's... uh, uh, it's my memory. What can I say? No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, thinking about multiplayer sessions um, for me, it was uh, a lot of uh, Pro Evolution Soccer uh, in the 2000s, and um, the the overriding smell was cigarettes. Um, <laughs> but but there was also, of course, when you're playing in a room with six or eight uh, young men, um, yeah, uh, bowel bowels tend to erupt from time to time. And uh, yeah, so there's definitely a, a strong association with video gaming. And 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 farts, body burps. Uh, things will happen. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, did you ever get to play Smash Brothers Melee with all three of your brothers in a four-player game? Uh, no, unfortunately, oh. not. My uh, my big brother uh, doesn't really play games. Oh, I thought uh, maybe maybe just for Smash Brothers, uh, given the name of the game, it would have been just too perfect to have four brothers actually smashing each other. Uh, you could have also taken the the characters that were the most like you in real life. You're absolutely right. Uh, what we did later, what we did do later on, uh, was that he bought a Wii because uh, oh, of his cool. wife uh, wanted to try something on the Wii, um, and then he bought Raving Rabbits, and we have a video of us swinging the controller around because we are throwing cows, <laughs> uh, which of course was a, a great experience of doing with all brothers. <laughs> it's it's exactly what you say. It's it's just perfect uh, playing games with the entire family and uh, well what better way to do that than swinging cows around yeah sure uh, so uh, Dreamland 64 this is just uh, this is purely the, the the memory of the Smash Brothers or is there anything um, anything are you, are you a Kirby fan outside of Smash Brothers uh, kind of I uh, um, one of the earliest gaming memories I have is playing on the NES of my uh, uh, neighbor a little girl on the other side of the road and she had an NES and she had Kirby and uh, sucking up the enemies and taking their properties and uh, trying to make it to the end of the level. Uh, It's a really 
easy game if you know Kirby. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of lives to be had, so no problem. But we were so little and we were so uh, busy learning motor control skills. That yeah. It was quite a challenge just to finish the level, but it was fun. Cool. So um, that's my history going back with Kirby. But Dreamland sequence, I guess, is, is uh, just typical of my experience playing games in that era having friends around and uh, enjoying uh, just a great game and each other's company. Dreamland 64, that's uh, as heard on the GameCube version, of course, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Uh, Hirokazu Ando, uh, Ando re, uh, sort of rearranged it from Jun Ishikawa's original. Um, we covered the Smash Bros. series as it was then, back in Kane and Rince podcast issue 154, and that was before uh, Smash Bros. 4 Wii U and 3DS. So, um, yeah, we will have to go back to that at some stage, I guess. Uh, penultimate track is track eight, of course, and this is from the forum, somebody calling themselves Benderson. Uh, who says, after all of that atmospheric tension and industrial dystopia, uh, referring to uh, the other tracks in the game that he's talking about, not Kirby Dreamland 64, uh, the end credit song Castle Imitation, composed, written and voiced by Chihiro Onitsuka, is a welcome triumphant relief of daylight and fresh air. Fresh air. Uh, ikite. This is from Breath of Fire 5, Dragon Quarter, uh, from the PS2, 2002, Capcom, of course. And yes, Chihiro Onitsuka. Thank you. 
Remember, please venture over to our forum, canarince.com slash forum, as I say, or you can do it on Twitter. Follow us at canarince. You can use the hashtag sound of play, facebook.com slash canarince. And you can request your favorites and other curios and oddities. And we'll continue to include a selection in the regular Sound of Play podcast we have uh, with uh, guests or team members. And please subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Please do leave us an iTunes review or rating if you don't already. Uh, We did have a new Sound of Play review on UK iTunes recently, and uh, it was a very nice one. Thank you very much. And we also have a Patreon. You can support what we do and the many hours we put into making all these podcasts. Uh, Patreon.com slash Kane and Rince. We're currently working towards a target of $3,000 a month. Uh, And if we do that, we'll be making even more podcasts. Uh, But you can donate as little as a dollar a month or any amount beyond that. Uh, We've had a couple of people say that they should be able to pay more if they want to. Well, you can. I think you just have to edit your custom amount beyond a dollar. Um, it's It's as simple as that. Uh, anyway, before we hear about your last track, uh, I just want to thank my guest David for sharing his uh, gaming memories and musical memories and emotional memories with us in this podcast. But uh, David, do you have anything at all that you would like to plug to put out there? Um, we mentioned that uh, your previous podcast appearance on what was the name of the show? Sorry, uh, the life we play. The life we play. We're going to try to uh, host that uh, because it's not currently available on the internet. So uh, we're going to try to. Um, We'll get Jay here, who's editing the show. Hello, Jay. To uh, We'll send him the MP3 and we'll get him to uh, plug it in on the site so uh, so that you can listen to that again, uh, where you can hear David talk more about his memories and experiences with Final Fantasy VIII, which obviously sound quite uh, life-informing and affirming. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else, any social media presence or anything or any projects that you want to plug or a charity? I don't mind. Whatever. The floor <laughs> is yours. No, I am totally uh, absent from the internet. Uh, no Twitter. I have a email address, but uh, I would uh, like to keep that for yeah, personal use. Out. No, I won't. Um, <laughs> of course, you're welcome to comment on the site of Kane and Rince, and I would love to read your feedback if you have any. Um, but otherwise, um, as a gamer and as a music enthusiast, I would just uh, like to say uh, everybody who's listening to this and has not played Secret of Evermore you are missing out it is uh, a great game and uh, in my opinion better than Secret of Mana even uh, it doesn't make it better than Secret of Mana uh, as a game of all time for me just because of my memories of playing it with my brother which is not possible with Secret of Evermore Okay. Uh, because it's a one-player game. But otherwise, it is uh, fantastic, and it, it, everybody should play it. <laughs> I, will add it I will add it to the... I don't think it's on our big, long list of games, and I've never played it. Um, I was... Uh, maybe I was being something of a, of a JRPG elitist, but I didn't want to play a US-developed JRPG, if you see what I mean. Um, I, uh, I can uh, understand. I am uh, struggling to think of which one but i have played an american rpg which uh, did not live up to my expectations of what an rpg should be but yeah. uh, this is not secret of evermore okay. this is a, a success in every aspect if you ask me i will add it to our very long list and i'll add it uh, i'll add your name as a potential guest because you obviously have a lot to say about it um no 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 guarantees no promises but it will be on no. the list and therefore considered yeah secret of evermore also been requested to add mario paint during this recording uh, which will be a curious one but um, seeing as it was the mighty Adam Capone who requested that uh, we'll see what we can do not really a game but it has elements of game anyway that's a completely separate conversation let's uh, hear about your final pick we've already talked a little bit about the game and the fact that excellently you got to play it in Dutch 
even the GameCube version, which um, actually was ever so slightly cut down compared to the other two versions, simply due to the size of the disc. Because uh, the GameCube it was. only very, very slightly. It just had uh, a few musical tracks missing, actually, but not this one, oh. obviously. Uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. So Home Sweet Home, I love this. Uh, I love this piece too. I, I, I have fond memories of playing this game. Uh, we're covering it later in the uh, series, this current year of Cane and Rinse in 293. So it hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah, so as well as the the joy of getting to play it in your own actual language uh, was was Beyond Good and Evil, a game that uh, that gave you uh, good feelings, warm feelings inside generally. Uh, yes and no. Uh, it is a very friendly game good gameplay, uh, controls easy, um, has a, a very gentle difficulty curve, mm. so uh, uh, no problems there. Uh, it's not a, a game you play for its difficulty. Nowadays seems to be a, a, a high, in, in high demand, but some games can, you can just play because it's an interesting experience and because you want to have fun. Um, not saying that difficulty can't be fun. See, of course, the uh, very interesting post by Michiel Kroder on the Kane and Rins website. Yes. Um, but this game uh, breathes atmosphere to me. It just uh, it builds a world in a uh, well semi-believable fashion, and you are a part of that world. And the music is a very integral part of it. And that's uh, something that I always admire in games when the music is a supporting character. Uh, as it were. And in this game this is very uh, apparent by the wonderful score of uh, Christophe Herral who we all know of course of uh, uh, Lemons and Oranges. Oh, beautiful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he knows his parents. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. He, uh, the, the, he is no stranger to you. But mainly this score, this uh, track Home Sweet Home, uh, we're going to bring home the show with it. And it is just a piece that breathes also the tranquility that I mentioned in the first track, yeah. but also a kind of warm embrace of feeling at rest at the place where you are. And when the track plays, and it's very important to me when I play a game, that the moment uh, in the game corresponds with the music that is playing. Um, and in this track, you are at home, you're sitting and uh, meditating in this case and then this track starts playing and it just feels very very warm and inviting that was what it felt like to me mm. and I said uh, is this a comforting experience to you I said well not exactly because the story goes in a very uh, alien invasion direction which is not very comforting and actually uh, quite uh, disturbing at some mm. moments in the game. So to say this is a comforting game, well, not exactly, but it still can be fun, and that is what games are about. All right, beautifully said. And, uh, yeah, we'll leave you with this delightful piece from Christoph Eral, Home Sweet Home Beyond Good and Evil, and we'll see you again in the next Sound of Play. <laughs> <laughs> 